Well, hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to challenge you to do it. We're three friends that come from across the political spectrum who were more and more alarmed at the political divide in this country, but found that we were very united when all three of us were setting any biases aside and really searching for the truth. As it turns out, in this day and age, the truth isn't so easy to find. So we're inviting you into our conversation to learn more about what we're learning and asking you to share with us what you're learning. And if you can prove anything we share wrong, we'd love to hear about it. Today, we're continuing the conversation on education. This is another education on education episode. And we wanted to bring in two literal experts in what they do so that our listeners and us can learn from them and get a variety of perspectives. So today we have Kimberly Stewart and Anna White. Kimberly is a school teacher and parent in Virginia, and Anna is an early childhood educator and homeschool mom of, gosh, Anna, what is it now? How many years? Oh, it's a long time okay it's a, I, I, well, I just think, homeschool but just but, homeschool okay yeah okay yeah, yeah that's yeah. not including all her years teaching <laughs> but she's I would say she qualifies as an expert because she's been doing it for a really long time we brought these two on because they happen to be Anna is my sister it's just Holly by the way Amy Kristen Amy Rocky, here as Kristen. Hello. <laughs> And I wanted to bring my sister on to give her perspective, having been in the in a in a school setting and then homeschooling. But I wanted to invite Kim on as a really brilliant teacher. I love watching her as she educates us on edu- on uh, on government. <laughs> She'll do that on her social media channel. I always watch and learn too. <laughs> um, but I wanted to bring her on and also give her perspective from both teacher and parent in the current public school system. So uh, I know I gave both of you a little tiny, tiny uh, introduction, but Kim, let's start with you. Tell us a little more about yourself. Yeah, so I have been teaching um, for the last 16 years in the public education system. I started out in Baltimore, Maryland, then um, moved to the Northern Virginia area. And I've been here ever since with my husband and two children. Um, I've always taught government, social studies. Um, I have a master's in educational leadership from George Mason and a uh, bachelor's degree in secondary education and history. And I've taught the gamut of social studies, but my passion lies really in government and helping kids um, really understand and know the role that our government plays in our daily lives and the powers and the structures so that they really can ask questions and research and seek their own truths um, to kind of lead into their own beliefs and you know values of the system that we live under. And so I've been doing it for 16 years. Currently right now I'm teaching um, government and politics, as well as an advanced course for uh, AP College Board. So we really, really get to dive into um, a lot of, you know, the critical thinking part of, of government. And that's what I really enjoy when I'm with the kids in person, um, which we are finally back in person uh, this school year. So uh, I love it. Well, we we're going to learn you. Yeah, I mean, if every teacher had that, you have an adult class. Yeah. 
I have enjoyed really in the last <laughs> year and a half, 18 months, ever since a lot of the, um, you know, events have been occurring in our society and culture, you know, educating my friends that um, don't really understand the system and how it works at, at various levels. That's kind of been a, a newer, exciting passion for me. Um, and I do some of that on my social media. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you do. We, Thank appre you. we appreciate that. <laughs> we are some of the you have educated. <laughs> well, if we all just want to have our homeschool kids tune in to coach, I mean, to Miss Kimberly Stewart's you know, <laughs> Instagram stories uh, and reels, we can, they, they're going to learn a lot. <laughs> yes. Um, but speaking of homeschool, Anna, um, tell them more about you, kind of your background and then, and then what you've been doing for the last however many years. Um, well, we started on this journey when my oldest, who's now 19, was getting ready to go into first grade. We, he was an only child then. So of course I could be pretty involved in the school system here and volunteer, you know, they want all the, at the time they wanted a lot of volunteers. I don't know what it's like now, but I could be in the classroom quite a bit since I didn't have any other children. So that's kind of how our journey began. We, I was involved, I loved his teacher. His teacher actually was young and had an early childhood background. So she did, have a perspective that I think was appropriate for that age group. Um, but I don't know how far down you want well, me to go. Well, you had an early childhood education degree right. and she had owned her own preschool for years. So she did know what was developmentally appropriate hmm. for children in general, but certainly for her kindergartner turning first grader. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to get into that in a minute, mm -hmm. but she'll, it was, a, it was an alarming experience. Mm -hmm. Her eyes kind of got blown wide open and um, tried to kind of fight the system to get it <laughs> yeah. developmentally appropriate. And it was quite a challenge. So again, it was one of those eye-opening moments, kind of like mm -hmm. we've been talking about in 2020, where your eyes get wide open and you go, mm -hmm. oh, oh. Mm -hmm. And it made a pivotal change that has impacted their family forever. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk more about that in just a few. But uh, Kim, we wanted to start by asking you, because you do bring both the public school perspective. And we need to also clarify, you know, when we recorded our first um, an education on education episode, you know, we fully recognize that this is a hard conversation because parents, we do feel our hands are tied, whether it's financially, whether it's, you know, you're both working parents, you, or maybe you're a single parent, you know, making these decisions for your kids is hard. And I think that's where Kimberly's going to be able to help us some today is how to navigate when your child is in public school and you don't feel that you have options, even when you're not happy with the product, some things that you need to know. But Kim, as both a public school teacher and a mom of two boys, seeing it from two different sides, and of course, we think teachers are in an often impossible situation with the bureaucracy of it all, but tell us from a teacher's perspective, what are your top three concerns or maybe even challenges that you're seeing in the classrooms right now? Yeah, so it's kind of hard to narrow down to three but um, <laughs> or two, but um, I would say it right now, and, and you guys talked about this in the last episode, is just um, kind of fighting the perceptions of teachers right now in our culture because it is so predominant right now out there where when we're talking about things like critical race theory and, you know, uh, gender equality and all types of very tricky uh, issues to navigate. Um, it kind of falls in that, like, I, I have a concern that really good teachers, really passionate teachers are going to leave the profession 
because of those couple of bad apples. It's a really, it's a really, really big concern for me. And I have talked to colleagues, I have talked to other teachers across the country that, you know, are in this space of you, you, we're doing our job and we're doing the, our job to the best of our ability. And we are out there, you know, with that passion and those kids in mind. And, you know, you're seeing these teachers that are, you know, just making bad choices that they were never taught to do. Um, and it's, you know, our primary intention of teaching is really to make a difference, right? To impact kids and to change lives. And I think that somewhere, you know, even within my last 16 years of educating, I've seen a huge shift away from that um, in the perceptions of teachers. And, you know, it, it, it's scary to me that in this system, the way that it is going and, and, and the way that decisions are being made for educators, that we're going to lose a lot of good educators, passionate educators. I think with, you know, everything that happened the last 18 months with virtual teaching and hybrid teaching and concurrent teaching, I mean, there's too many terms to name of how we tried to teach kids in the last 18 months and nothing, nothing will replace in-person connectivity and relationships that teachers build with kids. And, um, you know, that's a, that, that's a concern. I would say um, the shift in the priority and focus of education um, is, a, is a huge one. We're moving away from a lot of the traditional ideals and means of education. And we're asking teachers like myself to be, you know, a, a guardian, to be a security guard, to be a nurse, to be a psychologist, to be a social worker. And at the same time, I'm supposed to teach my content and I'm supposed to educate kids, right? And, um, you know, like teachers are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders right now. And in, even in the last 16 years, I've seen just the increase of demands and whether that's through testing pressures by the state and the federal governments, or it's the trainings that we're having to go through um, to be all of those things in the classroom for those kids, for the you know, time that we have them with us. Um, and you guys touched on this the last thing, you know, we spend so much time with these kids in a school year, you know, more time in a day than they spend with their parents, right? Or their peers. And you, you have the weight of your shoulders of protecting those kids, of helping to grow the minds of those kids, to educate those kids in the content, but also help them just to become good people, right? And, you know, valuable people in their community that, you know, will go out and be successful and productive and just become who they're meant to be. And when you're trying to do all the 50 other gazillion things, it can be really hard to focus on the, the kids themselves, right? Um, and taking care of them. And then I would say as a parent, right? Also as a teacher, I think that we have gotten away from the ideal and idea of it takes a village, right? To raise a child. I think that even in my own behaviors as a mother, I have kind of allowed the system and trusted the system to take care of my kid. And 
in those hours. And I, you know, I had a, a bit of naiveness, like everything's going to be fine. Like you're going to school. It's great. Like you come home happy and you know, you're telling me all the wonderful things about your day. Like I'm not concerned, but I think when we took kids out of the buildings and in the home for those long periods of time, our eyes got a little more open to what's really happening in our education system the way that some of our teachers, I wouldn't say most of our teachers are, but some of our teachers are trying to kind of mold and meld curriculum beyond the intention. Um, and I think that we need greater involvement in our community as a whole to become a part of the educational system and support our kids. And so those would be probably my three, like as a mom and an educator, I think yeah. those would be my three things. And don't you? Yep. There you go. Mic drop. We were yeah. we were <laughs> that. I, I can totally relate to you when you say the letting the system. You know, not that it was I think just just trusting what or, trusting or assuming system. it's like yeah. how it was when we were there. Right. It ain't like it what it used to be. This ain't your mama school. This ain't. <laughs> we really didn't realize that. Like said, they would come home happy and it was fine. And they just went about their day because kids are just resilient like that. They just move on. They just move through the day. And so we're like, oh, yeah, they're good. We have some time, you know, but then it's true. Like now the more that we learn, it's just like we don't know that the right thing to do. I do want to ask how Kim was getting our kids to tell her all of the wonderful things because I have to bribe my kids to tell me anything. You, you know, um, it's just, it's for me, I feel like it's just asking the right types of questions um, and diving deeper when they give you an answer. Right. You know, you don't say, hey, how was your day? You say, you know, what was your favorite, most exciting part of the day? Like, what did you love the most? And if my kid says, well, I read, I got to read uh, for 20 minutes and I got to pick my own book. Okay. What book did you pick? Did you pick out of the teacher's library or did you go to the library? And then you just kind of keep diving in. And that's how I've really learned a lot, even within, you know, the last three weeks of my kids returning. It's either asking the right questions or waiting till bedtime, right? Yes. <laughs> it is. And then they got to tell you everything. Yeah. They become the no, what's that? They become thirsty philosophers, right? At bedtime. You're like, what? You've had all day to get water and you've had all day to tell me this. I don't understand why we're doing this at 8 30. Um, and when you're telling us, like, even the way you were talking about how teachers feel, like, I feel that so much, like, for the teachers, I feel so much for them. But I also feel like that's how even parents feel. So I can't even imagine being a mm -hmm. teacher and a parent. Like, just, the, I feel like everybody has felt like the weight of the world on us, especially in the past year, you know? So as yeah. educators, in addition to that and having all of the other things and all the other people you have to answer to, I just, I mean, I applaud y'all. I respect the heck out of y'all, like, and to go through all of this as well. So I love hearing it from both sides though, because you are on both sides, you know? So yeah. yeah. Some days I come home and I'm, I tell my husband, I'm like, you know, this, this job would be amazing and perfect if I could just teach my kids, like if I could just teach, you know, and, and we've just gotten so far away from that. Yeah. Well, it's called, yeah, government bureaucracy, right? Or, or any kind of bureaucracy that is too involved at telling the experts how to do their job. 
right? I mean, that's the problem. And trying to do this one size fits all kind of approach that, you know, as a teacher does not work. I mean, in theory, it might sound great, but it just doesn't work. You've got to teach. And half of those experts have never been in a classroom and taught 33 kids at one time and tried to manage all the other things at the same time. Exactly. Well, you, you kind of touched on this, Kim, that, you know, you, you know, we, I think all of us on here in, in private conversations, we'd say we really want our kids to be taught how to think critically, but not what to think, kind of like the essence of this podcast. And I think you, I mean, have you seen politics? I think you kind of touched on that playing into the school system now, maybe even more than when we were in school. And do you see any indoctr- indoctrination in curriculums or are you seeing it more in just maybe more activist teachers trying to insert that into the curriculums? I think it's a little bit of everything, right? I think that, um, you know, I I try to get my students to really think, I mean, I'm teaching government, I'm teaching these very hot issues and topics on a daily basis. And you come in with students from what I like to say, different places, spaces, and experiences. So, and, and I'm in a very diverse area. Um, where I teach. So, you know, we do have the, the gamut of, you know, different places, spaces, and experiences. And I just want to encourage anyone, and, and especially my students, and I think teachers should be doing this in a fair and balanced way, to question, right, to be free thinkers. Um, I've said this before, and I tell my students, the moment we lose the ability to think freely, we have lost our freedom, right? Like, Uh, Amendment one says freedom of speech, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of press, like all those things for a reason. It was in number one, like the main amendment for a reason, right? And so I think that when we stop encouraging our kids to question, to research, to gain multiple perspectives, not just one comfortable one, right? Like get uncomfortable with the information you're reading or digesting. And when we try to allow them to find their own truths, create their own truths, and then build their own beliefs and opinions off of that, that's when we're building, you know, a group of of kids who are going to take that and be able to be more successful outside of the classroom. Because I don't want to tell them what to think, you know, I don't don't want to give them their truth. They need to come to that on their own. Um, Thank you. I think (laughs) that's exactly how we parents want you to teach. Honestly, kids should not know how you said it. Kids should not know which side a teacher is on. Kids should not any of that like kids they should not know how you vote be allowed to make their own decisions and find their own truth just like you said and I love that I cannot imagine teaching government (laughs) (laughs) and not just fun it's super fun (laughs) um but like and that kind of gets into the political piece right because education's always been political like we have unions and you know people in power that are either elected because of school board positions or hired as superintendents. And it's, you know, it's just, there are politics in education and specifically the public education system and who gets the money and how the money's spent, right? But I think, you know, you can absolutely find examples of politics and indoctrination in any system if you look hard enough. 
And there's a lot of things going on in policies throughout the country in our system that are examples of that. And I think that it's just front and center more than it ever has been. Obviously, this drive for equity, right? And and is it equity or is it critical race theory or what is the definition of equity and what's the difference in your definition of equality versus equity? And um, so I think there's that. I think there's absolutely um, issues and questions surrounding um, the LGBTQ plus community and gender equality and identity of students. Um, and then school board policies surrounding COVID, which I've had personal experience with. You can check out my social media for that. Um, but I mean, library book selections, English text readings, there's been lots of that in the forefront of education lately of what are these assigned books that they're telling kids to read and why are they reading them? Um, and then the other thing is like, you talked about in the last um, episode was like classroom signage. Like we need to be more aware of what that is. And um, also clubs and activities that are being built up in public schools. Um, because, you know, if the, if the school base approves that club or activity, it's a club or activity that students can join. And I don't know necessarily if all of our parents really know what clubs and activities actually exist. But you're saying that we should know. Like, for example, if there Absolutely. is- Absolutely. You know, like, you want to know if there's like, um, you know, an Antifa group, if there is a, um, you know, KKK group, which I cannot imagine would ever be approved, but let's <laughs> say if it did, we would want to know that this is existing to provide a space for some of these, you know, more violent ideologies. I would say that's just my opinion. Um, so, so you're saying that, that there are groups and stuff at schools that parents just need to be aware of what those clubs and activities are, what the school's allowing, basically. Yeah, I think that just encouraging parents to go and take a, like a real hard look at the school's website, right? And dig around and look, you know, at that and then sit down with your kid and say, okay, let's look at the library resources that you have available to you. Like what, what do you have available? What can you go and read and check out and navigate? And, um, you know, what, what do, do your classrooms look like? Um, and, you know, go in, into the schools if you can. I know there's restrictions right now for a lot of places, but, you know, go, go to the back to school night, right? Um, and do those things so that you're seeing what your kids are seeing um, when they walk into the building, you know, there's 100% politics in our school system. And a lot of it's driven by the school boards and the policies and regulations that they implement. And like examples that I can think of off the top of my hand are statewide testing, right? That drives a, a ton of the politics in our schools. Um, the religious holidays is a new one that's been popping up to create greater diversity and greater equity. And, um, and then of course, and you guys have talked about this in previous episodes, the vaccine mandates and the mask mandates. Um, you know, that, that's politics, right? When you've got scientific fact versus, you know, just the, we're not listening to you, we're gonna do it. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, and obviously, um, you know, we're not anti-vaxxers. I think we've had to say that 17,000 times because right. you, you know, accused of it if you say, 100%. I'm not sure. I do think a lot of people don't know in the state of North Carolina, there is a religious exemption law that, you know, people say, well, my kids can't go to school if they don't get every single vaccine. And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, actually, that's not true. You can 
uh, with a religious, if there's a, you know, there is a religious exemption law on the books that you can just sign a form and say, yep. I want my child to have this vaccine. And, they and we have it in the state of Virginia. We have religious and medical exemptions. Okay. Um, so, you know, when it comes to the mask mandates or the vaccine mandate, you know, any of those types of things, they're, they're not laws, right? right? They're not passed by state legislatures. They're not laws. They're mandates. And, and government teacher, explain the difference between a mandate and a law. Yes, please. <laughs> we do think people don't know this. <laughs> so a lot of our mandates are coming be because of the actions of either your governor or local government, right, in your county supervisor boards, et cetera. And they're, they're being put in place because either you have a state of emergency, like the COVID-19 pandemic, or there's something going on within your community or in your state at a larger whole that needs to be immediately addressed. So the mandates, typically they're temporary. They're similar to executive action or executive orders, right? They do not have the force of law because that does not require both branches of government, the legislator and the executive branch coming together and passing that legislation where all people are represented and they do the will of the people, right? Woo! Laws, Sorry. <laughs> laws, no, it's okay. Cause I'm <laughs> like, this is, this is like where I get excited. The laws are the ones that are passed by the majority, right? With the minority in mind, right? To safeguard minority rights. But those, those are laws. Those are passed by your legislators, signed by your executive, like put into law, have the force of law upheld in the courts through justice. It's why you're seeing a lot of challenges in the courts to these mandates because they're not law. They're not passed by the majority, your representatives. Well, and you think about it, that keeps people from becoming a tyrant, right? Because a, a tyrant can get elected and then under some circumstance have a mandate and then issue it. And like Kim's saying, that's not involving all the elected people who are supposed to come together to rule on what they believe with the representation of a variety of opinions instead of here's what we're going to do. And that's yeah, why there's no check right on a mandate like a man like they put that in place and then they're hoping sometimes, especially that no one's going to take them to court or no one's going to challenge them. Right. And yeah. that they just have the power to do it because they're the executive. And we're seeing a ton of, of pushback on a lot of these mandates that are being put into place. Oh, I love that you explained that because I do think that's what, there's just people don't know. They're like, it's a law. No, no, not been passed as a law. It's not been passed as a law. Okay, real quick. I'm so sorry. I have to, I have to ask Kimberly this from a parent perspective, because when you said go to your kid's curriculum, like look over their curriculum, go in their classroom, read these things like, it's almost like a lay person trying to read a scientific study, okay? <laughs> because to me, I feel like as a regular old mom and parent, when you read the curriculum, when you look at these things, it all sounds fine, but it's almost like we're learning that you have to dig deeper than the surface or like, it's like the words that they're using are very, um, what's the word? Like, they, like they, oh, politically correct. So they sound mm -hmm. lovely. Or they're very pedagogical. Like they, right. it's, that was it, not yeah. the word we were thinking. <laughs> I don't know that word. I'm going to look that up. But what I'm thinking <laughs> is that it makes it sound like it's all really, really great. 
but yet there is an ulterior motive that really you have to really think really hard and most parents are not gonna let's be real you're okay, gonna read the ones that just said you're gonna read the curriculum you. and <laughs> you're gonna read it and it's gonna sound great and that's gonna be period the end but is there any advice you have just I, know this is off I would no I get I get what you're saying it's it's interesting because very rarely do I ever have a parent that comes to me and says hey Johnny came home today and he said that you guys were talking about this I'm not seeing where it's in the curriculum right? And, you know, the, the curriculum is your, your guide. And those are the things that are must do. So they're the standards that students must achieve. And I think that where the, there's loss of translation is that sometimes those standards can be very vague, right? Like we have standards where our students have to know and understand checks and balances, but I can, I can give whatever examples that I want to, to teach those checks and balances. So I think that's where sometimes you might find some teachers sneaking in that bias, right? Mm -hmm. It's not what they have to teach, it's how they're teaching it. Right, because you could use an example, say, that has bias to one side, but it would just be wise to then the next question, have a bias toward the other side. You know, it's- A good teacher would never straightforward only present one perspective or one story or one piece of information. Good teachers would always balance it out and allow students to ask the question to get to their own conclusions and their own findings. Right, as opposed to the the viral videos we've all seen this year of teachers in like yelling, being ugly to students. That's what we say in the South, being ugly. Then being, <laughs> being, 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 um, being mean to students who don't share their ideologies, right? And that's where you get, but I do think like Kim was saying, like read your kids' work, right? Read, read their tests, read their papers. And I know that's, again, we know this is time consuming parents, we know, but we're in this age where we can't afford not to. I think that's what we're trying to encourage. Maybe you don't read everything, but try to get engaged with the content of what they're bringing home and asking those questions. And my boys have always come home and said, you know, what their teachers said, or if they shared an opinion, you know, they, our kids would quickly label and say, oh, she thinks this, or she, you know, I mean, we always heard it because they picked up on it, you know, they would pick up on it, but I can't say that we ever had a teacher that was like seeming to try to indoctrinate our kids. I, you know, I, it just never was the case, but I know my kids weren't in a public school system, to be honest with you. So, I mean, we just had it, there was a different, there was just a different standard, you know? Um, but let me, let me ask this. Okay, Anna, let me, let me talk to you about this because um, obviously I know we've had a lot of conversations uh, how you're kind of thankful that you ended up homeschooling for many reasons, but one being you did have more influence over the way things were presented and it wasn't, um, it wasn't that you don't want your kids, because I think you absolutely want your kids to think for themselves and grow into mature young men and young women who can think for themselves and, just, and make the, the, their own choices. But, you know, certainly you could prevent some of that from happening. But that's not why you became homeschool mom. So I know some people listening mm-hmm. are looking at this because you don't like the mass mandates or you don't like the curriculum or the direction of the curriculums. But mm-hmm. you actually had a different situation. Right. So for us, it was my very active, you know, 100% boy, um, knowing that when he went to first grade, I, I was very big into him getting plenty of physical activity. He needed it. 
I knew that in kindergarten, it was a little bit different, but at the school that he was at in first grade, they were not going to be going outside till three o'clock. And after spending a whole year of writing school board members and finding out, you know, they'd say, yeah, we'll meet with you about this. And I would send study after study and it was, it got me nowhere. So by the time, you know, first grade, I knew first grade was rolling around. I thought I just can't do this to him. I cannot, you know, allow him to sit in a classroom all day <laughs> without physical activity. And so that's kind of where mine started. It was more, feel, I felt like there was this whole child that needed to be educated and his physical needs to be able to move was part of his education and well, part of and you know. I remember you saying to me too at that time you said he's clearly going to be labeled ADHD mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. time you didn't know it was more right. to, to right. what he was struggling with you said he's going to be labeled ADHD and if that label goes on him mm -hmm. at the time now this was back and Kim you might can speak to this but she was if he gets that label I'm concerned about mm -hmm. what that's going to mean moving mm -hmm. forward and mm -hmm. you just and so you knew if he could get some exercise, mm -hmm. he would not probably get the label. Right. But you guys, first graders not going out until the end of the day, mm -hmm. 3 p.m. is so inappropriate. And she fought it all the way to the school board, right? Yeah. All the way to, to, to school board members. Okay. They, I, I connected with them, sent them studies. And I think at some point I sent stuff to the principal, but everybody would send me somewhere else. Like the principal would be I mean, someone she, else. She problem. didn't, it wasn't her problem. So, you know, I just started to feel like it was, you know, our school system is pretty big. I'm like, I am not going to win this. They're, they're not going to just accommodate my, my child, you know, even though, again, I felt like developmentally, this was part of his education, you know, part of meeting that developmental need to move, yeah. <laughs> to learn hands-on, you know, there was, there were several aspects to the whole thing, but that was really our main reason of just not feeling like I could send him there to just sit. Yeah. So this, this is around 2006, 2007, seven, something like seven, that. Yeah, something 2007. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you made this choice to pull him out. At that point, you did have the educational background as a mm -hmm. teacher. So you knew, um, you started to notice as soon as you started homeschooling him. Mm -hmm. What did you start to notice? Um, he complained about reading in kindergarten, but, you know, when we were growing up, you kindergarten was different, you know, now kindergarten is what the new first grade. So, <laughs> so it was, but I, I didn't think it was a huge deal that he struggled some with reading at, in kindergarten. It just wasn't a big deal to me. However, there were some signs I could see then that, you know, I knew there was something that wasn't clicking for him and he would complain. So they would have spelling quizzes on Friday and he would complain he didn't want to, he would say, I don't want to go to school today. And that, that was another sign. sign to me. I didn't like that they were doing quizzes in kindergarten and they, they were putting up like binders around their desk or, you know, the, the cubbies, but he would not want to go to school then. And so that was kind of a, a red flag there. And he also sat beside the girl in the class who was probably reading at three years of age. So <laughs> he would say things about that of, yeah. You know, I wish I was like her. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, by the time that we got him home, um, 
I started to see signs of dyslexia. And so that- And share some of those signs because I know we're going to have some parents yeah. listening who aren't sure what's mm -hmm. going on with their kid or who do know what's wrong and you're going to be able to encourage yeah. them about how to navigate it. So for him, it was, there was just, he was very reluctant to, to sit down with me and he wasn't retaining sight words, which was probably going on in kindergarten. But again, it's kind of like we've all talked about, you sometimes- you're sending them so you're thinking they've got them you know they're going to tell me if there's something going on and so I, I didn't really think too much about that but not being able to rhyme words he, he always struggled with rhyming um like cat instead of saying bat he'd say cut yeah yep it so would sound like but it wouldn't rhyme yeah. so rhyming um retaining sight words and he would often, for him, he always, I mean, you could ask him to this day and he'd say, no, the words don't jump around on the paper for me, but it was like he would lose place, his place on the page or um, very, he would start reading and then yawn. It, it was like, it was exhausting to him. So, you know, those were the things that we saw that thankfully, I mean, had we not pulled him out, he always did really well in math. So I think they're, I've heard that sometimes when they're there, they have to fall like a grade level behind or before you can really get help. Now, I think our school system here has made some changes and it and, and does recognize dyslexia now, but back in 2007, it they were still teaching at a, at a university that you all are familiar with that dyslexia did not exist. So back then, <laughs> back our cousin has had oh. a professor that said there's no such thing. So. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think now it has, our county does recognize that. And, you know, I have no idea what they do for the kids, but. But you knew at the time. And now parents, there are, option, there are options mm -hmm. you can look into in your public school that are supposed to be there to support your child. Back in this time, mm -hmm. we were young moms without a lot of money. Mm -hmm. We were all living, mm -hmm. you know, on budgets. Mm -hmm. You don't know, you can't just send what private school was going to help them. Yeah, there wasn't, there so, wasn't a lot of that either. Right? So you had to then mm -hmm. talk about like pioneering her way like she had to figure this out how do I teach my kid now fortunately she has a uh she's an early childhood educator she knows how to teach but she doesn't know how to teach dyslexic no. children so then you found I found so we spent a lot of money um going to different tutors that you know said that they would help and they would fix it and you learn you know you're wanting to just make you know because with him, it really did affect his self-esteem. And a lot of people said, well, we, we, we wouldn't ever guess that about him. He seems pretty confident, but it did. It, 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 you know, it did cause issues. So I can imagine that had I left him in a bigger environment, in a classroom setting, it would have, could have done some damage. Um, but we did find um, a tutor, a Barton tutor that um, was able to, so that was a great thing about homeschooling. We could go during the day you know, set aside two or three hours a week to go to this tutor. So that was great. And, and we found her through a homeschooling network. So, okay. So that's one yeah. thing I wanted you to speak to. So there are homeschooling networks now. Back then, where did you guys meet up online? Um, it it was would, like a, I mean, even then we, the internet wasn't like no. it was now. I mean, think <laughs> about 2007. It yeah. wasn't the same. We, yeah. we all had dial up probably, <laughs> so, you know, not fast, limited minutes. Yeah. Um, I, there was, there was a, like a county group on Yahoo that I got into and yeah. I had a few friends that were doing this. So 
at least I wasn't completely alone, um, but we were able to, there was a, a Yahoo group and that's still where I don't always look at it, but there are, sometimes I get, I still get some really good information there. So you can go to different Yahoo groups. I'm sure there's Facebook now groups, there there's is, now yeah. social media groups, but there yeah. are places you can go to search to find the homeschooling resources. And there's even pods now. I mean, mm-hmm. Kristen and Amy, we were kind of talking about this, you know, that's in a right. weird way, kind of what you guys are doing, not you're partnering with the mm-hmm. school, but you had to say you were homeschooling to kind of create this new hybrid of a school. And I wanted Anna to share her story because parents, this was not easy. You know, the financially, the limited, the options were limited. Um, time-wise, you know, thankfully she was in a place where she could stay mm-hmm. home and teach him and figure this out, but then even hiring, finding the tutors, mm-hmm. hiring the tutors. But by what, eighth grade? What grade was it that they said um, he's at reading level and he's, he's... Yeah, I believe, so we spent four years in Barton. In and Barton. It, yeah. And Barton is a curriculum for, uh-huh. for dyslexia mm-hmm. that is, I do think is pretty yes. fantastic. Yes. Um, so that's another resource you can look up that will connect you with. But I will also say there's more and more kids being diagnosed mm-hmm. with learning differences now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we just want parents to be empowered to know if something seems off, get mm-hmm. to the bottom of it and don't feel, I know it's overwhelming, but I think Anna's living proof that just mm-hmm. be the advocate for your your kid, you can figure this out. A hundred percent. And Holly, I'm going to interject in public mm-hmm. schools. There are laws right on the books that you parents, you have the right to advocate and ask for testing. So if you're, even if you just have this, you know, gut feeling that maybe something's off, I don't understand. Like they're so smart over here, but they're just not doing well here. And what's the disconnect or you have the right to request by your school to go to the special education department, go to the administrator and demand that you have your child tested for a learning disability to see where there might be the, the missing piece, right? The missing piece. And then based off of all of that, they will move forward, but they, they are held to timelines. You know, it's, it's, it has to be, you know, once you request it, it's gotta be within a certain period. They have to follow up. They have to meet face to face. Like parents, you have rights for your kid's education by law, um, you know, to get them the support they need. Right. And I'll also interject too and say that it could be even on a different side that they may not have a problem and it could be the environment. I'm not saying that's what happened with you, but this is what happened with even my husband. Uh, you know, my mother-in-law has talked about this and it really was just the fact that like the, that particular teacher just didn't want to deal with it. And he had a lot of energy. He was thirsty for knowledge. He was like, had so, like, he was, I mean, he really is really intelligent, but he had a lot of energy and he was probably just freaking bored and like, or he wasn't excited. And we've even talked about this, like on the last podcast, just, it could be, sometimes it could be the environment and it could be, and look, this isn't the teacher's fault. Again, I am not blaming the teachers. I can't imagine having all different levels, all different backgrounds, all different everything and trying to cater to all of that and have them you know, be prepared for this test and be prepared for this. I can't even imagine. So I do think sometimes, and a lot of people aren't in the position where they can do what you did, Anna, or even do what we're doing. We weren't in this position years ago. We never would have considered this years ago, but desperate times call for desperate measures sometimes. Um, And sometimes you just realize there is a different way, you know? So I'm just saying that like, 
It could be that, but it could also be that like, maybe they need a change. Maybe it could be something else that they need. Maybe your environment, Anna, encouraged him to even learn and be excited and grow or the Barton, like that helped and encourage and foster his growth and independence and learning, you know? So let me just say what a gift it was to watch Jackson grow. First of all, when we were kids, Mm-hmm. We knew we knew homeschool kids when we were kids <laughs> and we thought they were weird. Okay. And I, and listen, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. We thought they were weird. What we realized it's kids aren't weird because they're homeschooled. Kids are weird because their parents are weird. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. That's kind of true though. You know what I'm saying? Cause mm-hmm. now let me back up. There were people back homeschooling back when we were kids. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't the, it was very, uh, it was more unusual. It wasn't the norm. It was different. Yes. And, and some of these families really had adopted more of that Quakerish type mm-hmm. life. So I'm not, I'm not being funny. More of that Quakerish like lifestyle. And, you know, that was different to us. And so we thought, well, that's weird. And then, but what we realized is that these kids were just a product of that environment. And that's, and, and they were good people. I'm just, but I, I know I'm going to get slack for saying this, mm-hmm. but whatever, I don't care. <laughs> um, but here, but here's the thing. I've watched Jackson grow up as an incredibly normal, very social child. One of the things I watched Anna do was when she would teach him, they took lots of breaks Mm -hmm. and he went outside. In fact, I can remember times he would be reading or doing something. He'd say, mom, I just, I got to go outside. I got to just throw the ball. I got to do something. And then he'd come back to it. Mm -hmm. And being, having the the thing about homeschool that I think has an advantage, even though it's very difficult, Mm -hmm. is you can curate that schedule that's developmentally appropriate for that kid and today that kid mm-hmm. is going to turn 20 mm-hmm. this week right and he's going to turn 20 this week next 14. week yeah 14 yeah. Uh-huh. and he is playing baseball in college mm-hmm. so it all worked out mm-hmm. and then she had Sawyer mm-hmm. the younger one who's also dyslexic mm-hmm. so she is starting over <laughs> <laughs> well starting she's over. got the experience now she's she's got, got, she, got at least, she at least knows what to do but uh, while just adopting um, their foster daughter, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. who is two. two. So y'all, if she can do yeah. it, no one else can. Right. But you can come plus. I mean, we really, like, we have the power. And I think that's the thing is like, we are not tied to just what we're used to or status quo or whatever. There, there's always a way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we've even learned. Like it's like yes. not survival of the fittest. That is part of it, but survival of the most adaptable. Like what can we change if we don't like it? Yep. What can we change it? How can we make it better? You know, and sometimes it's doable. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes people don't even realize that it is doable. And so that's why we're sharing experiences from all spectrums, you know? That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, to wrap it up, Anna, what mm-hmm. would be your one? Po- okay. We know we have listeners who are, we've, we've gotten messages them mm-hmm. from them from our last podcast that are considering this option. Never thought they would, mm-hmm. but what's your one piece of advice to those, to those moms and dads? Um, I think the the one piece of advice and someone told me this, it was when you look at, I think it's just like when you have a baby and you think about all the years ahead and how are we going to get through all of these years and sometimes it can feel overwhelming, you know, when you're up in the middle of the night with a crying baby. But for me, someone said, you can try it for a year. And if it doesn't work, you don't have to keep doing that. You can find something else. And so for me, I, my goal was to get him to middle school. And then we got to middle school and I, as hard as it is on so many days, there, there's, there's something that is so beautiful about having the flexibility and having them home and getting to be a part of 
so much of their lives that, you know, I mean, you know, they're going to be gone. You don't have that many years with them. So for me, it just became something that I got used to and something that I really did enjoy on most days. So I think if you say, you know, give yourself a year to do this and if it doesn't work, it doesn't have to be permanent. So there you go. I have a question because like in our last podcast, I said, it's like the Eminem song. You only get one shot. <laughs> no, yeah. I know, I'm like, no. <laughs> one time. So I totally <laughs> on that. And I kind of, we were kind of feeling that way. Like this is our chance. Like, yeah. you know, we're only going to be this age one time. Right. This, how do we want them to grow up? What do we want them to learn? Right. How did you, um, like, for example, middle school, you really mm-hmm. got my there because I have a middle schooler um, and you're homeschooling a middle schooler. Mm-hmm. That like makes my heart beat really fast. Um, mm-hmm. How did you keep him um, just social? Like, did you, were you involved in just like a ton of extracurriculars or just, well, we had, see, we have the <laughs> video game situation now. Probably wasn't yeah. as much of a big deal with you back right. then. Right. How did you keep him, I mean, in order to homeschool him, but also keep him involved and um, out there kind of social? Mm-hmm. So for him, um, he always was in a football, baseball, he did basketball for a couple of years. So he, that was kind of his, really his social time. We did other things. We tried co-ops, but with the dyslexia and all the tutoring, I felt like it just wasn't a good fit for us. And, And that was one thing I wanted to share is everybody's journey looks different. I had to tell myself early on, I'm not going to look like that family that's always gone and their kids are in everything. That wasn't for us. It was okay for them, but not for us. So that freed me up again to just say, you know, it's not a race. It's, it's our journey. Um, But for him, he was always in sports. That's kind of, that was how he socialized. Um, And then for my youngest, he's not so much into sports, but he's got friends that homeschool and then some that go to public school. So that's, I feel like you kind of, you know, maybe it's more that I feel that I have to step out and make more of an effort to make sure that right. they do those things. Whereas, you know, again, it's like y'all are saying you have to be involved and you have to be deliberate. And that's, that's probably where I am with him. But with, with my oldest, it was never an issue because he chose so many sports yeah. and his friends and the families that we became close with. They were at these sporting events. <laughs> I mean, her son Jackson could talk to anyone, not no joke, which I'm sure doesn't shock anyone with the DNA. It comes from. And truly, when I said earlier about the weirdness, the joke we made growing up, that's been like the thing I want. I want to dispel that mm-hmm. because it's not weird. And it wasn't weird then. It was just, it was a different group of people who probably were pioneering it into mm-hmm. our area. Today, it's very normal. Mm-hmm. And it's, and now there was, um, uh, 20%, didn't I say guys in the last podcast? I think 20% of North Carolinians are now homeschooling their kids. So that's one in five. That's a lot, right? We have a lot of, we have a lot of families in Virginia that because of some of the local mm-hmm. decisions pulled okay. their kids out again. And again, for schools, that's money, right? Because mm-hmm. every child is worth the dollars. And oh, gotcha. Mm, so they are yeah. only getting funded based per child, right? So, that's- so yeah, so on average in the state of Virginia, and um, I'm, I think I'm pretty accurate here, it's about $12,000 per child. Oh, that's um, more that than the school, for private it, That the school will lose, right, in state and federal funding dollars yeah. when a child does not enroll. 
So right. the, the more they lose to private school and homeschooling, the more money the system is losing. Okay. Um, and that's been something that parents have kind of stepped up and said, this is how we're going to act, right? This is yeah. the, this is how we're going to push back on some of the things that we're not okay with. Well, and okay. I think, but, sorry, Holly, I know, but, but two things I wanted to point out. One thing that Anna mentioned, like with the whole school board, that's one thing that kind of um, sealed the deal for us was once we started realizing what was actually going on and we started we, we were like we said we're in this group with some fam with a lot of families like over a thousand families um that all sent multiple email emails we have like present they have presented not we I, I would trust me but um but it's quite obvious they're not listening and I think that's where it's very hard so once you do that it's like why do I want to support that that it, that's one thing and then number two, when you're saying like, you know, I had the same, spec, you know, the same, um, I guess, uh, perspective or, you know, I guess it was because I was uneducated on homeschooling because we do think it's weird. Anything, this is the thing, like when, when we say just think, it's because we have our own, own bias and we have our own assumptions right. and we have our own skepticism and our own thoughts about things. And so until you actually get in that situation, or until you actually get to that understanding and that perspective, and it's hard to get there. But once you're there, then you start having that, oh, okay, now this might be for me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had the same feeling about homeschool. I was like, I could never do that. I would never want that. I don't really see my kids doing that. I also never considered private school. Mm -hmm. I was always like, I'm not doing that. My kids are going to be fine in public school. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it ain't your mama's school. It ain't my mom. It ain't my school. And I'm a mama. So I'm just saying like, it is just important for us to think, okay, oh, it, when your immediate thought is that's weird or that's not right. It's like, goes back to you that. Need to dig deeper. It's like that cognitive dissonance. Yes. Like let's learn a little bit more about it because maybe they're onto something. Maybe this is that could work because yeah. now realizing that what we're doing I, I never would have thought I was the one that loved school I was the one that wanted the good grades I was the one that strived for that you know and all of a sudden I'm like for me to even like think like oh my gosh now I don't even honestly y'all honest I sh should not even say that I don't even care if my kids go to college right now mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. I know no I, I know exactly what you mean yeah that's a decent kind human being that contributes to society and is independent and can like just spread good mm -hmm. like energy and, and I think that's what that's <laughs> what all good teachers want for their kids and I think in the public system that's what we've gotten too far away from mm -hmm. you know is that we're we're so focused on all the other pieces that we've forgotten that it really is about the kids right? It's not about my political view or anyone else's political view or the people on the school board or the experts, right? Like, what do our kids need? How can we support our kids? And how can we raise, like you said, kind, decent human beings who are going to be of value to their society yes. and, you know, move, move the, you know, move it, move it forward. That's and, right. you know, that's, that's what I struggle with in the public system is, you know, fighting against a lot of, you know, as an educator going, this isn't what kids need, or this isn't what's best for kids. And as a, as a mom who was at home with kids last year, virtual teaching with two kids at home, virtual learning, 
I can't tell you how many times I just sat and just to myself screamed, like, this is not good for kids. This is hurting our kids psychologically, emotionally, you know, um, educationally, academically, like it was just not good for kids. We were letting all the other stuff get in the way and muddy what is doing, what is best for kids and fighting for what is best for kids. Well, I think we can, we can do a lot in the public, in, in all the schools, and certainly in the public school uh, system where parents are a little more engaged with the teachers and helping do exactly what Kristen just expressed as a parent and Kimberly just expressed as a teacher. We're, we're on the same page. Most of us are really on the same page here about what's needed, but to help push that forward, and that goes back to the voting booths. How many of us can honestly say we spend time researching the candidates and that we're not just looking at the, if you're a Democrat looking at the D or Republican looking at the R, are you looking at what these people are going to stand for? Because we just learned, if you didn't learn anything else in 2020 about education, is that how you vote matters. Oh, let's just say how you vote matters in 2021. We learned that too. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how, what, who you're electing and what they're doing matters. And we should, I mean, I'd love to see us get away from the bipartisan elections of school board members and elect mm-hmm. really good people who mm-hmm. love these children and understand what they need mm-hmm. and want to give it to them and don't care about anything else but that, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that's, that's been part of what's missing. So to wrap it up, Kimberly, what's your last piece of advice? as a teacher to these parents, go, go vote better. And also <laughs> right. Aside from voting in the first place, right. Yeah, you should right. vote, but you should also vote better and yeah. educated votes. Right. And, th- and that's what I tell my students. That's what I try to teach them is that you need to be educated on what you're voting for and who you're voting for and understand all of the facets of their platforms and, you know, who they are. But I probably, as a mother and, and, and for mothers, as a teacher in the public education, my best advice would be for all of our parents to just start making time to pay attention. Uh, some, you know, we get so caught up in the busy and the crazy of life that we forget to sit down and have conversations with our kids. We forget to look at their backpack and the papers that are coming home and the things that they're doing. So making time to pay attention, to research, to listen, to be involved, and at the end of the day, advocate for what you want for your child's education. And as a mother and as an educator, I have always, always promised to do what is best for kids. Like at the end of the day, I will, even if it's not the popular thing, right? Or the thing I'm told to do, I will always do what's best for kids. And if people are telling me not to, to do something that I don't agree with that's best for kids, I'll fight. I will fight. I will go speak at a school board. I will put my neck out there because our kids matter and their education matters. And whether it's a public education or a private education or a homeschooled education, their education matters because it helps them become who they're meant to be. And if we are not paying attention, then they're going to become someone that we don't even recognize or want them to be. And I think it's our responsibility as parents and as stewards of the educational system, as taxpayers, as voters, to just start paying attention and be involved. 
I mean, with that, we can wrap it right up. We would, <laughs> we, we would like to see even more of you, Miss Stewart, in, in all of our classrooms for all of our kids. And same goes for you, Anna, just the, a parent who really became the greatest advocate and really raised an incredible young man. So, um, and raising another one. And then of course, now she's got a two-year-old that she's going to have to figure that one out too. Uh, but as always, thank you guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye y'all. Oh, oh, oh.